Are you hearing this? Yeah. It's Elise calling me. It might be important, so I'll take it and then we can take it. Right there. She never calls me. Oi. Aha, gravando um podcast. I'm glad I'm, I'm recording this because that's the kind of outtakes that Ariel, hi Ariel, <laughs> likes to mix into the podcast. So good. Oh, there we go. I assume it was fine. It was, I'm recording a podcast. Okay, cool. I'll speak to you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like the child, I don't know, um, had an accident or something. Probably was just like, do we need any broccoli? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Good. Hi there. I'm Rahel Ajwanden from Instituto Now, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm talking to Mala Enriquez from Impact Hub about the challenges and opportunities of applying a diversity, equity and inclusion lens to globally active organizations. I hope you enjoy going behind the scenes with me. What do you think you do in your job? It doesn't necessarily have to be your official job description. In my work, I support Impact Hubs to implement a program for that accelerates businesses that are working towards the sustainable development goals and then um, also trying to create global opportunities for those entrepreneurs, such as scaling weeks in Geneva and Mexico. Um, and for those who've never heard of Impact Hub, um, how do they have to imagine this organization? So Impact Hub, I think if you ask every person that works for an Impact Hub or in an Impact Hub, we'll have a, a slightly different um, answer. The way that I say it is that Impact Hub, at a basic level, is a network of co-working spaces around the world in over 100 countries. But each of the hubs have their own little spice or their own flavor. And a lot of them run different programs. And so I work for, for the most part for Impact Hub Geneva um, on a program which works directly with other Impact Hubs. And I'm just wondering... Um kind of from this global perspective, what are some of the challenges that you see in kind of trying to, you know, work in a network like that um, with your specific position? There's a lot of goodwill and a lot of challenges that I see fairly regularly, especially because within the program I, I work for, it is based or was born out of Impact Hub, an Impact Hub in Europe. And the other participating hubs are all in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe. And so, and I purposely listed those continents out because even us as a program at the moment, we're still trying to figure out the, the best vocabulary to use. Like, we don't want to say developing countries, emerging markets is another way of coming at it. But then I recently, not so recently, I came across the term global majority countries. And so within the, the network or how we're, we, within, even just within this program, how we go about being a European hub, leading hubs from other parts of the world, makes it very complex. And then within that, previous to this, I ran the program at a national level in Latin America for two years. And I noticed that the entrepreneurs that we work with or worked with here were actually very privileged themselves. So when you compare the idea of like these quote unquote poor countries compared to the quote unquote rich country that the program is run for, 
But then within the countries, if you look at the populations that you're working with or the people who can afford to be entrepreneurial in some sense, it's a whole different ball game. So it's it's and it's interesting, yeah, how you can be privileged in one context and you step into another and you're no longer part of the privileged party. And that I see that play out sort of daily um, in my work. Thanks for sharing. And you and I we met uh, because you participated in the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion um, Action Group was the name, right? Which was a kind of a reflection group or a community practice maybe for um, people working at Impact Ups. Uh, and we had the pleasure of facilitating it. I wanted to know why you decided to sign up for that program. I was very much aware of the optics as I moved from being in a Latin American impact hub team to a European one and also myself being British a woman of color but a British passport holder British educated like how I was going to use my experience working at a national level and take it to the hub that was leading this project in Europe and make sure that the voices, even though I'm not the best spokesperson because I live in Latin America of choice, but trying to make myself more aware of the privileges and the the challenges that are faced in the implementing hubs and making sure to like bring that constructively to the team in the European hub. I think what stood out for me in, in that experience of the, the action group was really this difficulty to translate and also bring everybody kind of on the same page of, you know, kind of what is diversity, equity, inclusion, right? We discussed that and we, we try to kind of have a vocab around it, but then we kind of also want to avoid having a vocab that comes from North America, Europe, right? So there's always this kind of questioning. And then also realizing that trying to translate it into some of the local languages of the participants, right? They might not even have a word for a certain concept. So there is a lot of, of challenge around that. Actually, there's a question we've been discussing a lot here at the Instituto now, which is the language question, right? Of how much of the work international organizations do is in colonial languages and how much that even allows us to think outside of these patterns. What is your approach to language? Like, what's the languages that you use? Is everything translated, uh, etc.? So I work in Spanish and English, and my attitude to language is to be constantly learning and try where possible to keep up with things and just be open when someone corrects or someone suggests another way of saying things. And then I also challenge myself where possible to lightheartedly call people out when I hear an outdated term being used. And sometimes that's easier than others. But I think we very easily, we too easily come back to saying, oh, it wasn't my intention this, or it wasn't their intention that. And while I think it's important to be compassionate to people, I also think it's important that people, or that you yourself, own up to the consequences of your actions and your words. So... I, th I feel language is important, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all, and we should all be willing to update our language as regularly as we update our wardrobes. Agreed. And I think if we make it a practice that we point out to each other, I think it, we all have that reaction of, oh my God, I said something wrong, right? But if we train that and just say, oh yeah, yeah true, and you know, are able to correct ourselves and slowly incorporate new ways of, of talking 
you know, new, new words and new ways of using pronouns, etc. It becomes much more comfortable, right? So it's really, it's, it's like a muscle that we need to train, uh, I feel. Yeah, but like we do it when we were younger. We always use slang. <laughs> yes. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's true. I see that with my kids. They try out expressions. You know, they try something on and they see if it fits. Uh, and if not, they go for something else. So I think that's maybe something we need to somehow get back as well. That's nice. What else have you observed in working internationally? What are some of the dynamics that are difficult in working? I think that the colonial mentality is far more ingrained than we would like it to be. And I'll use the example. We'll, we'll see. Hopefully, I'll be proved wrong. Um, the way we're talking about this this program that, that I'm working on now, we have these two opportunities at the as sort of carrots at the end of the national program. One is to go to Mexico, and the other is to go to Geneva. And I'll be really interested to see how much more excited or how many more people are interested in going to Geneva than Monterrey, Mexico. Even though, from my experience working with hundreds of Latin American businesses at this point, whenever I said to them, where do you want to go next? Not one of them has been like, Switzerland, that is market number two for us. But a lot of them say Mexico. It's like geographically close, culturally more similar language. But there is still this like, oh, Europe, like that is... It's very organizer. That is the future, and I think in some ways that, like that, yeah, that that's a big challenge to sort of say. And then again, the the, the for my role in that as being a person, a, like a European educated person, being like, no, no, don't go to Europe, go to Mexico. It's like it's very easy for me to say, but it's yeah, there's a lot to be unlearned in this world. I think in terms of where we're we're heading towards or what we see as an achievement. They do venture see it more of an achievement to get to Geneva or do they see it more of an achievement to get to Mexico? It's a really great point. I think the the unlearning and I think it has to do a little bit about also about what we what we value, right? How do we select in your case startups, I think, right, and in other cases staff members. What are the criteria that we use? Um, have you ever done any thinking about that in terms of the selection criteria and how you could also maybe rethink a little bit of how that works i was part of an organization called global shapers um, and then i aged out because it's a young people thing when i was curator for our hub um it became global shapers is a community of the world economic forum and the idea is that it gives young people a voice where decisions are being made they're self-organized groups and the idea is that each hub represents their city so within our hub i was the only foreigner when i started and I realized that we were re doing really well to represent the elite of the city and not the entirety of the city. And that came down to how people were like allowed or like allowed in or like to, to apply to join from where we were holding our meetings, the types of activities we were doing and how we were going about them. And I, I first brought this to the, to the hub which is a, there's a lot of hubs in my life. This is not Impact Hub now, this is a different hub. Trying to say that we needed to be more diverse, equitable, inclusive. And I got 
a lot of pushback actually being like we are diverse look at us and it's like mm, but, but are we and it took like a couple of months and a couple of tries but in the end me and one of the other members landed on the idea of being representative and that is a much easier pill for people to swallow and instead of talking about like us not being diverse I talked about here are some stats on the city this is how many people in their cities they have like different like social economic ratings like one to six and you live or you're part of one of those I was like our hub is 80% level six this city is 5% level six we have an overrepresentation of this and they're saying the other on the other way around like 50% of the city is level one we don't have a single person from level one in this group and by showing it like that, people were like, oh, okay, yes, this is how it became much more, I don't know how or why, but it became much more palatable. And we were able to, in the next round of applications, we adjusted so that people that represented underrepresented things, and that was from socioeconomic background, education, disability, yeah, like various different things that we could find, if the person represented something that was underrepresented, they were given a, a higher like percentage point. It makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me again of the diversity, equity, inclusion action group that we discussed before. We had this tool that we developed, right, for everybody to look at their impact hubs and kind of analyze um, those different levels of representation, as you were saying. And But look at that also in, you know, intern level and... Um, staff level and management level and how there's still so many differences, right? But data somehow seems to be more neutral to a lot of people. So it's, it's really crazy how you're pointing that out again, right? Just saying representation, data, look at it. And people are more convinced than if you just say, hey, we're not really inclusive here. Um, they can often, you know, come across wrong. But it's still true. Yeah. But I think it's always, it's human instinct to get defensive. And I think that's what we need to, that's the biggest unlearning. If you can not go, if someone can call you out on something and you cannot immediately be like, oh, no, not my fault. Yeah, then, then we're on to something. As you were talking, uh, I just realized something. Um, as you were talking about the, the global shapers, right? When I was, I, I have forgotten about that. I never told the story, but a couple of years ago, I arrived in this city in the south of Brazil and I'm Swiss, right? So I was kind of, trying to make friends and trying to connect and I decided to apply for the Global Shapers. Oh really? <laughs> yes. And then I started a process, I was selected and then I started a long reflective process. So I grew up in Switzerland um, as a very critical person and of course the one institution that we are critical towards is the WEF, right? So eventually I couldn't do it. I didn't join the Global Shapers. Um, and I think it represents to me something that you're also saying, right? Is this kind of conflict that you're having of our identity and how we relate that to certain things and how much we are allowed to connect or benefit from power and, and how much we should be critical and say no to everything that comes from Europe at this stage. So how has been your experience in that sense? You know, how do you navigate that, that kind of situation? So <laughs> I too have always been very critical of WEF and global shapers. 
on a personal level, I joined because I was a foreigner living in a different place, not dissimilar to your. And for me, it was a way to connect to other people who had in- similar interests um, within the city I was living in. What I realized it is a sort of much more elite space than I had initially thought. And hopefully, at least with my hub or my old hub, that, that, it, that it's less elite now. I also, my mum is Indian. She moved to the UK when she was 10. And something that I've seen her or like her, and heard her talk about is bringing institutions down from the inside out, basically. And so it was a little bit of that where I was like, I don't necessarily agree with everything that goes on here, but I would rather it's me in that situation than someone who is who can question it and who can take a critical eye than someone who's just going to reinforce it and allow um, it to continue as it is. And I think that a lot about intelligent and caring people that I know and the kind of jobs that they're in and I, like, yeah, I, I definitely still struggle with the idea of like, is it better to like bring the house down from the inside? Is that actually a thing? Or do you just like benefit for the perks before like maybe raising your voice every now and then? But yeah, that's definitely something that I still hold in the balance. That's a great point. And I think it's all about sometimes people also stepping away from positions where they could really make a change for, you know censoring themselves or not wanting to occupy that difficult position so I think it's an important reflection to have yeah or excuse right or is excuse it, right yeah this it's kind of yeah. <laughs> and we'll never know right we'll never know but I think you also have to be able to feel feel okay with yourself in, in, in the end so I, I don't blame anybody who says no I'm not going there and I don't blame anybody who does it unless you know they're really way too privileged to be able to reflect on their own position then I think it's difficult another big question that I still don't have the answer to is around pay in an international and global team and this happens on different levels well there's there's several ways to think about it on one hand I think there's a very strong argument for people should advertise jobs at a pay grade and those who can and are willing to can apply for them and work at that pay grade um, because there are there's sort of all these things about cost of living allowances or adjustments rather um, you can say we're an international organization we base our pay at the standard of living in the US for example and then we'll make adjustments depending on where you are in the world which frankly I think is ridiculous because where you live in the world is one factor of your costs but it is such it's not such a small factor but it is just a factor that it doesn't take into account if you have dependents including parents friends children it doesn't take into account if you are in debt it doesn't take into account if you have a social safety net with your family or friends or you stand to inherit money it doesn't take into account the fact that you do or don't own the place that you live. And so I think it's very often used as an excuse to pay people in countries where labor is cheaper and living costs are cheaper, less money, which essentially just perpetuates the cycle of keeping quote unquote poor countries poor and rich countries rich. That's not like the most eloquent way of saying that. But then at the same time, 
if it is a way that you can deliver more value or deliver more, then are you missing a trick by not hiring two great minds in Mexico instead of one average mind in Central Europe or like New York City? And so I can see it from from both sides, but it's definitely something that I think is incredibly hard to do well. And I'd be interested actually to see how what, what your thoughts are on it. It's a great question. Um, and it's something that we struggle with with our team, even though I think it goes a little bit the other side because we base ourselves. It's a similar s- structure to what you're describing. But we start with Brazil, right? And we're only adding to that. We're not we kind of remove anything. Um, but people would want, there's not so much to remove either. But still, um, which means that, and we only add to a certain point, right? So we have now a very underpaid European team member and we talk about it and, you know, we haven't really found the solution yet. But it's a question I have, right? But then again, again, we don't want to add more money to flow into France in this specific case. So how do we deal with that? For us, it's a very easy situation because we normally say we only want to hire in the global south, right? etc etc but things happen people move and what do you do in those moments but I actually wanted to connect to something differently because it's the same question just different Um, so we're a consulting company we could say right and we have those exact same reflections on fees like should we charge less because we're in the global south or should we charge more because we're in the global south? Like, what's exactly the line there, right? And there's a lot of things flowing into that. There's like gender dynamics and all kinds of things, right? And and what organizations do you charge more and what organizations do you charge less? So I really feel like that's a big topic that we need to talk more about. And we have recently just decided, okay, it's not a good definition either, this global south, global north, right? It's very limited. It goes to the beginning of our conversation. But let's just run with it for a moment, right? We said, okay, we're definitely going to stop making cuts for organizations in the global north. Um, you know, if we want to have this reduced fees, the kind of fees that kind of get us, you know, through but don't really allow us to grow as an organization or to develop or to invest into learning and all of these things then we want to give those projects to the global south right if we want to say that and i think slowly we're developing some some ways of applying our values there but i haven't really figured it out i don't know um i don't know what would you do right what what, what's kind of the solution there if you had your own team it's so hard because also even like when we talk about like the global south and global north, within that, there are really well-funded organizations in the global south that literally have millions of dollars and don't know what to do with them. And there are chronically underfunded ones in the global north. So I think it essentially always comes down to the nuance, right? And again, like mentioning it earlier, the cost of living adjustment. That's one factor. So maybe it's about having a list of factors that are considered every time without prying too much into people's personal lives when it comes to to wages. But when it comes to organizations, like having a transparent conversation about how well-funded the organization is, what can they afford, how important the work is, and coming like coming to a conclusion through that rather than having a blanket rule that fits all because also it comes richness or like access to money there's like one thing of like how much money is in a bank account another thing is how 
rich you're feeling in the moment. So as an organization, the same thing applies, right? If you're feeling flush with cash, then it's a good opportunity to share that and pay your facilitators and pay your contributors well. And if you're not feeling flush with cash, then that's when things get a bit tighter. But as an organization, you need to step away from the feeling and understand the reality. Whereas I think it's much harder to do in our own personal finances. Like we've all been in a situation where we've bought something without thinking about it because you felt good about it. And then a similar thing has come up a week, two weeks later. And you're like, oh no, I couldn't possibly because you don't feel like you have the cash in the moment, even though your bank account looks the same. This would be a, a conversation for itself, right? But since you have a facilitation gig, I'm going to cut it here, even though I have like a mental list of things to comment on. But this to be continued, um, potentially to be re-recorded. I'm going to stop here. Tech point. At the end, you need to stay until I say you can leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we might lose everything. Um, if there's, it, it saves on your own computer and then it okay. has to upload it. Thank you so much for the conversation, Mala, and you, listener, for tuning in. If you would like to know more about the work we do with organizational processes, please have a look on our website, institutonow.org.